Start selling on Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash POS for a $1 per month trial. There's a lot going on in the world right now, even beyond the war in Israel. For example, it was a very busy week in U.S. politics. In Congress, this function was on display as House Republicans tried yet again to elect a new Speaker of the House. As we record this, they still have not. A judge overseeing the federal election subversion case against Donald Trump also slapped a limited gag order on the former president Trump is appealing. And while the race for the White House has kind of taken a back seat with everything else going on, I don't want to lose sight of the issues that will animate some voters come January when voting gets underway in Iowa. Experts say one of those issues that parents will be especially eager to talk about is schools and education, what their kids should be allowed to see in the classroom. And in some places, some of the most heated conversations have been around banning books. My guest this week is CNN's Ellie Reeve. She's been reporting on how this fight over books is playing out on the ground in the state of Florida. She's going to tell us about a new law opponents say has turned performance into policy. From CNN, this is one thing. I'm David Ryan. Ellie, where does this story of book banning in Florida begin? So a group called Moms for Liberty was created in Florida in response to COVID rules um, in public schools. So masking, schools being closed. And that got a ton of people angry. Like People were really angry about it, not for bad reasons. It was very hard to educate kids during the pandemic and keep a job. Right. But once that issue passed, Moms for Liberty shifted to the idea that there's pornography and other kind of insidious ideas lurking in public school libraries and in classrooms. And it started with a few books, but it spooled upward to be more and more and more to the point where there have been more than a thousand cases of books being removed from school libraries in Florida. So how does a book actually get banned then? Well, there used to be a process where uh, someone would write a complaint that the book was inappropriate. It would go through this committee of an administrator, a librarian, and a parent. They'd have to read the book and see if it had literary merit. Well, when you're talking about classics of American literature, like books by Kurt Vonnegut, most people are going to find that that does have literary merit, and it's not just in there to titillate or arouse. Moms for Liberty was not happy with that, so they lobbied for a law that went into effect in July, which says that if you go before a school board and read a passage out loud from a book and the school board stops you because it's offensive, then that book can be immediately removed from libraries. What, just for saying it out loud at the meeting? Right. Then they determined that that's grounds enough for getting it out of school. Right. The idea is that if it's too offensive for an adult audience, then it's not right for children. But of course, there's a big difference between choosing a book, reading hundreds of pages till you get to something that involves sexual assault or race or something like that, Um, and just reading these pages out of context in front of an audience that's there to talk about school policy. Like the idea is one passage may not fully encapsulate the theme of the book or just the whole story in general. Right. For example, The Bluest Eye by Toni Morrison is one of the most banned books. And this book is about a little girl who is dark-skinned, 
black girl, and she is called ugly so much she wishes for blue eyes. Hmm. So the book is about racism in mid-century America. But there is a passage that talks about sexual assault. The character is sexually assaulted. In the meeting, that passage about sexual assault is read on its own as if it's meant to be sexy, as if it's meant to be erotic, which is obviously not the message that Toni Morrison was sending when she wrote it. We've asked Mr. Penley to come forward to review um, the current law um, because most of the cards, which I'm holding 37 at this time, that have been filled out um, are about books. We went to a school board meeting in Volusia County. I mean, it's just incredible. Like, all the Moms for Liberty and their allies, they know they're going to read the dirty parts. All right. From a... Moral, ethical standpoint, a lot of people know where I stand on a lot of this. But we've got to follow our process. The opponents know they're going to read the dirty parts. The school board knows they're going to read the dirty parts. The book that I am going to comment on, please consider it now on record that I am objecting to it. And that book is called You Too. Author Janet Gerthler. But for the books to get removed, someone on the school board has to say, this is inappropriate for all these people who came to hear these exact words. He put my clothes back where they belong and lifted me up. Remember, you can't tell anybody. This is him. This is our secret. This is I remember. Him. Will you please stop and please fill out an objection for me? It's like, it's just absurd. It is like something Kurt Vonnegut would write about. I turned on my is excited. Z is yelling and yelling. Please stop. Please stop. Thank you. So this law about reading the passages at the meetings seems to me like that could be easily gamed or taken advantage of. Is that happening? Well, uh, the people who oppose them certainly think so. You don't have to be a parent. So people come from outside and come read these books. They haven't found the books. You don't even have to be a parent at the school district? No. You don't even have to be in the school district. You can be from outside the county. Wow. There's an organization called Book Looks that's also based in Florida, and it goes through books and pulls out all of the, you know, racy parts. So anything about sex, of course, is in there, stuff about race. I mean, it'll. they also pull out stuff about, say, communism, but that's not, you know, what ends up being read in these school board meetings. A lot of the people who come to object have never read the books. They are handed out these sheets from book looks that contain all the dirty parts. And then other Moms for Liberty, like Moms for Liberty in Seminole County, put out this video saying you want to pick the most shocking part because you want them to stop. In some ways, this is just pure spectacle, pure theater. It's 100% spectacle. But the spectacle is now policy because of this new law. I think when we hear about banning books or the rise of the so-called parents' rights movement, like you mentioned, I think it could be easy to think about it as, you know, really large, like there's a lot of people on board because the volume around the conversations are just so loud. But is that true? Like, how widespread are these requests for book bans? So in many places, a small number of people are responsible for the vast majority of requests for books to be removed. Like there's one person in Florida who's responsible for hundreds of them. Mm. I've now been covering Moms for Liberty for six months. When I first went out in Colorado and watched a school board meeting, there were a few people who stood up who disagreed with Moms for Liberty and said this isn't right. But it was a very small number. When I went in Florida, I went to two different school board meetings in different counties There was a huge turnout against them. Mm. All different kinds of people, you know, not like a 
stereotypical upper-middle-class liberal person. Like, people of all walks of life are like, I don't agree with these tactics. Good evening. I met a man named Mike Marsh in Indian River County. He was wearing a T-shirt that said, Mike for Liberty. The slogan was, your parental rights do not stop mine. So why did you come out and speak tonight? Because I'm a proud parent of two beautiful interracial queens, and I'm sick of this nonsense. Part of the reason he was motivated to speak out is because his daughters are interracial, and there is a big push against uh, what Moms for Liberty calls critical race theory being taken from school books. It's so sad when my daughter has to come home and say, Daddy, we, we learned about another religion today. Is that okay? Daddy, we learned about this in history. And I have to tell my daughters, it's okay, your teachers aren't getting in trouble. So Mike and other parents of interracial children um, have said to me that they feel like this is an assault on putting voices like their children's at the center of, of like school instruction or even just in libraries. My daughters come home and, and are in fear when they learn new history. It's like they have to ask me, Daddy, is this okay? And I explain to them about slaves did not benefit from this. He said, this is what happens when we are asleep when we don't take part in the electoral process these are the kind of people who take over well you know what i'm wide awake or woke which is the bad word of the day but we have to start running people that actually know the district for those who oppose them they're not just fighting moms for liberty there are moms for liberty elected to the school board there are allies in the Florida legislature, and of course, Ron DeSantis has spoken at their conferences. Right. These school board elections even have become politically charged to a way we haven't seen before. Yeah. And no American should have to compete in the woke Olympics just to get a job or just to get into school. Before Florida Governor Ron DeSantis ran for president, he did a lot of work in the legislature to pass these kind of culture war bills. The most famous would be the Don't Say Gay Bill, as it is now. So-called, yeah. The so-called Don't Say Gay Bill. And it has been very successful. So one former librarian told me that in Florida, there's no battle we can win. Wow. Because the laws are vague, but also very draconian. That's how she put it. And, you know, again, it's not that they're fighting activist groups. It's the activist groups plus their allies in the legislature, plus their allies on the school board. What do the students think about all this? When you first started noticing it, what did you think about it? I thought it seemed unnecessary. So I... I got a sense from the students. I spoke to a handful of them. Part of it, I feel like they're almost, like, confused why there's so much fixation among adults on these books. You know, they're young. They're just learning about the world, but they are able to say, like, there are other problems in the school. You know, one kid was like, listen, there's there's only one bathroom that regularly works. Like, we have actual problems in the school besides what's in the library. When you hear about the bans on books that have like like queer themes and like gay and trans people, it's a little hurtful. One student named Trixie told me that it was hurtful that themes about gay and queer people were often at the center of these book controversies. Like when we were learning about slavery, it's like, it's not about trying to make white people feel better. 
Like, everyone feels really bad talking about this stuff because it's horrible stuff that's happened to people. Trixie also said that, you know, of course, sometimes she's read a book and felt bad about being a white person. But the brown and black people in her class also felt bad because they were reading about something horrible, like slavery or Jim Crow. Mm. And essentially what she was saying is, like, we are old enough to understand that. Like, they can understand these themes. And if there was something that was really objectionable to them, in their minds, they would speak up and say something. Right. They would talk to their parents about it. Like, do you think you are old enough to be able to read about that stuff and come to your own conclusions about whether it's right or not? I would say yes, that I could read it and decide whether or not I think I should be reading that. Another student, Riley Kellogg, was saying, you know, just because it's in a book doesn't mean I automatically believe it. Mm. I actually have a sticker on my phone right now that says something along the lines of, if you've been in a book, I add it to my summer reads list. Have you read any of these books that are so controversial? Mm, no. I've looked, I've seen one book come up a lot. It's called Genderqueer. One of the most controversial books is a book called Genderqueer, and it's a graphic novel. It does contain sexual images. Not every librarian who opposes book bans says that this book should be in public schools. However, I've looked up images of the pages online just to get like an idea without actually like going to the library or paying for it. Trixie, one of the students we interviewed, was like, yeah, I heard all these adults talking about this, so I just searched it on Google Images and looked at it, and it looked pretty interesting. Did her own research. She did her own research. It makes you more interested rather than less, I would say, because I would never have heard of these, any of the books. The internet makes it impossible to hide these ideas from kids, and it certainly makes it impossible to hide real porn from children. And what about the teachers who have to deal with this? Because they have to figure out what they can actually show in class, right? So a lot of teachers have or had libraries in their classrooms and have removed a lot of books for them or removed them entirely because they are afraid something will be pulled out and they will be accused of promoting, you know, pornography or or something else that's offensive to the majority. So this climate is like making it hard for them to even just figure out like what to teach, what to talk about. Yes, and a lot of librarians are nervous and many have quit. Ellie, thank you. Thanks so much. One Thing is a production of CNN Audio. This episode was produced by Paolo Ortiz and me, David Rind. Matt Dempsey is our production manager. Fez Jamil is our senior producer. Greg Peppers is our supervising producer. And Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of CNN Audio. Special thanks to Samantha Guff. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next Sunday. Talk to you then.